Bledsoe. <laughs> it's a, such an honor to have you on here at the uh, Man of War podcast. I've been uh, trying to get you on here for some time. I was a big Dolphin fan, so I saw you play for many years, and uh, just an honor to have you on. Yeah, man, it's my pleasure. It was, uh, I was always jealous. I got to be honest, man. The, uh, I was a Dolphins fan growing up, and uh, I was always, as a matter of fact, Jim Kelly and I would, would uh, we would always give Marino all kinds of grief, um, <laughs> you know, because down there in South Beach, man, like, like slinging the football around, it's warm, it's sunny all the time. We both told him at different times, like, dude, if you really want to impress us, come throw for all those yards up in Buffalo or New England, uh, where, where we are, because it was not quite the same thing. No doubt, man. You had a phenomenal career. Uh, you were, what, a four-time Pro Bowler? Uh, yeah, four times. Yeah, four times. Should have been six, but, you know, but, anyway, but no, it was, a, it, was a, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a really, really, uh, uh, just an amazing ride. Um, loved every bit of it. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was childhood dream come true for sure. And I know we'll talk about it more, but it was just an amazing experience. Awesome. So what I'm going to do here is this, all right. In the man of war podcast, we love to dig in. All right. We want to know mm -hmm. your mindset, Mm -hmm. uh, specifically, you know, how you were growing up and of course, becoming an elite athlete, you know, going to the Super Bowl, that experience. And I also want to mm -hmm. dive into what happened after football and the fact that, you know, you, you didn't pack it in. You went out there, you became an entrepreneur, and now you're running a very successful wine company. So we're going to kind of break it down in stages like that. And I like to dive deep and I like to kind of get to know you and know exactly what you're made of. And, and we'll even talk about some of your, your daily rituals, how you stay in shape and how you stay, you know, on the edge for sure. Right on. Right on. All right, bro. All right. So take us back a little bit. You grew up and uh, was football something that you always wanted to do? I mean, did your parents kind of put you in a football yeah. team and. You know, it's funny. My, my, uh, my dad coached football, uh, high school football. Uh, so I was kind of always around, uh, around that, the game. Um, I, I didn't get to play any organized football until seventh grade, uh, which, uh, was, you know, that was, some, it was a long wait, man. I had, you know, we're out, you're out chucking the ball out of, around at recess and playing with your buddies. And then, uh, you know, there really wasn't where I was growing up. There wasn't even uh, flag football. Um, and then, any kind of organized fashion. Um, so I had to wait up, but, uh, until seventh grade before I actually got to play any ball, um, uh, but played all the sports, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a, you know, a football centric thing. I think in sixth grade, I think I played six different sports, you know, soccer, basketball. I wrestled, I was on the swim team, I ran track, played baseball, you know, so it was just, you know, we were just active out, you know, doing all kinds of stuff. Amazing. So talk to me, you played high school, then you went into college and, and uh, you became, uh, talk to me about your college years. Yeah, that was cool, man. I, I uh, you know, growing up in this little tiny town, Walla Walla, Washington, you know, in the middle of the wheat fields in Southeastern Washington, it was really a cool place to grow up. Um, but there was not a ton of uh, exposure, you know, like I had actually, you know, I, you know, I had a good high school career, but you know, it was, but I had to go actually actively work to get recruited, um, you know, outside of just, you know, my backyard. Um, so yeah, dad and I went and put together, um, VHS tapes, you know, sitting down there with two, <coughs> excuse me, two VCRs side by side and dubbing the stuff over and 
sent the tapes out to you know a variety of schools and and uh uh ended up uh ended up taking trips to um washington uh university of washington washington state uh stanford and then i took a trip to uh to miami uh because the uh, the coach at miami was dennis erickson who previously had been at washington state so he knew about me I knew I wasn't going to go all the way across the country, go to school. I knew I wasn't going to Miami, uh, but I certainly wasn't turning down the opportunity to take a trip in the middle of the wintertime from, you know, little tiny Walla Walla, Washington, all the way down to, uh, to Miami. Um, but I um, uh, went off to Washington, ultimately elected to go to Washington State, um, basically for one very specific reason. I just fell in love with a coach, um, you know, Mike Price, who is still a great friend to this day um loved playing for him um got there as 18 you know felt like I probably was pretty good at ball but didn't really know uh but ended up uh starting halfway through my freshman year um for the for the Cougs um uh at the end of my freshman year um Mel Kuyper Jr. is like the draft guru for the for ESPN, he kind of spoiled the rest of my the rest of my college life. He said uh, in two years I was going to be the number one overall draft pick, um, and uh, so I had to answer that question the rest of my the rest of my college career, which ended up being two more years. So I just went to school for three years and played ball for three years, and then elected to jump into the NFL draft. So tell me, at what point did you realize that you had a tremendous arm that you were accurate that you were kind of standing out amongst you know all other quarterbacks was it did it hit you or was it something that you just you know never took for granted you know it's interesting you know I I, uh, I grew really fast man so I was skinny 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 big feet you know <laughs> but certainly not the guy that you looked at like in the ninth grade said hey that guy's going to be a professional athlete you know it's just uh that was like the, the baby giraffe you know trying to figure out where all my pieces and parts were um but my sophomore year of high school we went to this uh this football camp um and um there were a number of nfl guys there but one of the guys that was there was neil Lomax, who was a pro bowl quarterback for the cardinals at the time and at the end of at the end of one of the sessions you know he would go throw you know and so you're watching uh you know, this pro bowl quarterback out, out there throwing, well, some, a couple of us got up to go throw with him. Um, and so we're kind of side by side. Well, so I was 15 at the time and, uh, you know, it had really sort of all come together that year in terms of my ability to throw the ball. And, uh, so I'm up there throwing with Neil and I'm kind of going toe to toe with this NFL quarterback as a 15 year old. Um, and in some cases, maybe even out throwing him and, so Neil finally turns to me, he goes, all right, you can go sit down. Like actually told me to go sit down because, <laughs> uh, cause I was, and that's when I, that was sort of the moment where I was like, Oh, well maybe, you know, maybe my ability to, to, uh, to, you know, chuck this, uh, this football around is different than, uh, different than other people's. Um, and then from there, you know, kind of had to grow into it and, and, um, learn how to put it all together. But, uh, um, but yeah, I was, I was blessed. I had some good natural ability. Um, but also had just some great, great mentors early on that, uh, taught me how to do things the right way. And, uh, um, and then I worked, you know, and I worked really hard at it and, uh, you put all those things together and, uh, allowed me to be, be better than most. Right. So 
I want to touch a little bit on that. When you say worked really hard, give me an idea of, and this is for the younger guys that are coming up, you know, give me an idea of the time that you put in. And because I got to believe as, you know, as a young guy, college and then high school, young athlete. I mean, it's like, you know, all kids, you know, they're, they want to party. They want to go out there. They want to do other things, even though they, they're good athletes. They don't get sometimes to a level where they could, if they worked really hard at it, if they had a, you know, that mental toughness, talk to me a little bit about maybe some of the experiences that you had when you were a little bit younger and, and how you pushed yourself. Yeah, sure. You know, it was, uh, um, you know, there were sacrifices for sure. You know, I mean, I, I, uh, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really party in, uh, in high school. Um, you know, I would sometimes go to the parties, but I was the guy that was driving everybody home and making sure everybody was taken care of. So, you know, I wasn't, um, wasn't one of the cool kids from that standpoint. Um, but before that, you know, going back to, uh, what eighth and ninth grade, um, you know, in the, in the, um, springtime, um, thankfully I had one partner in crime ended up being my, uh, ended up being my, my best receiver all the way through high school, Andy Jameson, but we would, um, in like eighth and ninth grade, uh, we would get up before school, um, you know, which back then, boy, I really liked to sleep. So, you know, giving up my sleep was, was, was truly a sacrifice <laughs> you know, when I was, when I was that age and, and, uh, now we'd get up before school at you know six thirty seven in the morning, and we'd go to uh, Bernie Elementary School, and we'd go uh, throw for an hour. Uh, and Andy would run routes, so I'd throw for an hour every you know not every morning, but probably three days a week before school. Um, and then um, you know, and then all summer, you know, and it was not ever a situation, you know, for me where I ever had to be told to go do something or ever had to be pushed to go do something. Um, you know, it was something that I chose to do and it was, uh, um, you know, first of all, I liked it. Uh, but second, I actually, I really wanted to be good at it. And, um, you know, somehow I figured out early on that if I really wanted to be good at it, I couldn't do the same things everybody else did. Uh, cause then I was the same as everybody else. So I, I uh, decided if I was going to be, if I was truly going to be, uh, or tr- at least attempt to be exceptional, you know, I had to do the things that other people weren't doing. That's great. So you kind of gave up some of the party time and sacrificed a lot of things to get to where you were. I mean, that's a, you know, for all you younger kids out there that are coming up, um, especially my uh, 15 year old going to turn 16, you know, for basketball, you know, the time is you got (laughs) to, you got to put it in, you know, you got to go out there and sometimes you got to sacrifice the time with your friends and, uh, to get to a certain level. All right. So let's take me down the road. Now you're in college. All right. And it is the time when uh, you decide to go pro. Um, how did that, I mean, tell me, I want to know the environment, you know, how that was at that time and, and, you know, people around you and agents and, and talk to me a little bit about that. Well, um, it truly was not an easy decision. You know, I mean, you look back in retrospect and you're like, okay, well, you, you, know, you were the number one overall pick. Of course you, you know, you made the right decision and left early, which, you know, I, I think that's probably the case, but, um, but shoot, you know, I was, I was uh, not yet uh, 21 years old when I made that decision. And, and uh, uh, you know, I was giving up, you know, the freedom um, and, 
you know, security of being in, uh, being in college, uh, particularly when you're on a, a, a college athletic team, you're really well taken care of. Um, you know, there's not a lot of, not a lot of, uh, not a lot of stress outside of, you know, working hard and getting to class. Um, but, uh, thankfully, you know, I've got, uh, um, you know, great support from mom and dad. They've always been just great sounding boards. Um, you know, again, they've never really pushed me in any particular direction, but they were always great, uh, listeners and, and, um, helped me to work through decision-making and so on. And then that coach that I fell in love with when I, Mike Price, when I decided to go to, to Washington state, um, you know, even though he was losing his quarterback, um, he was entirely supportive of the decision, uh, uh, that I made to, to leave early. You know, we sat down and talked about it together. Um, when I had my press conference, you know, he was up there and, and was, you know, he was just extremely, uh, proud, um, you know, the opportunity that I had, which, you know, some coaches, you know, they might, they might pit lip service and say, Hey, you know, at least we had him for three years or whatever, but, um, but Mike was really not that way. And he's, he was entirely supportive, um, you know, the whole way through and, and is still, still a great friend to this day. That's great. All right. So talk to me that first day <clears throat> on the draft, you get selected number one. Uh, did, uh, how were, you know, how are you feeling your family around you? You knew you were stepping up to the big leagues. I mean, I can only mm -hmm. imagine where, uh, you know, you had butterflies in your stomach. I mean, you, this is a huge step going from college to the pros. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, it was pretty crazy. Um, we, um, you know, I mean, my parents were both school teachers growing up, right? So, you know, we had a you know great upbringing, loved it, but, you know, it wasn't like there was a ton of money floating around. Um, and the reason I say that that's interesting because the first time that our family is just, it's just my, I just have one brother. Uh, the first time that the four of us were ever on an airplane together, uh, was when we flew out for the, uh, for the draft. So we left our little, uh, our little, little, uh, town and, um, flew to New York. Um, none of us had ever been to the, to the city, uh, to the, to New York anyway. And so we, you know, we're there, we got in late at night. We're out walking around Times Square, looking up at the big buildings. Like it was like, I tell people it was like the Waltons <laughs> go to New York. I mean, it was, it was really pretty funny. Yeah. Um, you know, I got there and then, uh, the, the next day was, um, um, was the draft itself, which, you know, I mean, it was a big deal then, but it was not like it is now, man. Now it's just like this five day spectacle back then. It was just a couple days. Um, but, um, you know, we were, uh, kind of up in the, the green room, which was back behind the stage. And uh, I'm sitting back there with my folks and my brother. And it happened really, really quickly. You know, um, you know, they announced the start of the draft. And very soon after the start of the draft, you know, Paul Tagliabue gets up and says, hey, says with the first pick in the uh, uh, 1993 NFL draft that New England Patriots like Drew Bledsoe out of Washington State University. And uh, so I pop up and my, you know, my mom's kind of trying to figure out what is going on and my dad's trying to get the video camera off of his hand uh and so i ended up hugging my agent <laughs> of all people when I, uh, uh when i when i got uh when i when i got announced but um yeah then uh, then it became a true whirlwind because right after the draft in new york uh was zipped up to boston 
um, and did all kinds of press and media stuff up in uh, up in Boston. Um, and probably the craziest part of the whole thing was just that you, know, you go from you know Walla Walla, which is about thirty thousand people, and you know one little tiny newspaper. Then you go to Pullman, Washington, where you know outside of the university, it's about twenty thousand people, mm-hmm. um, and you see you know just surrounded in but very isolated, very country, uh, and, uh, you know, not a lot of media scrutiny and, you know, all of that stuff. And then you land in Boston, which is one of the craziest sports towns in the world. Um, you know, I discovered very, very quickly that, you know, in, in, in and around Boston, you know, sports are not a pastime. They're more of a religion. Uh, and uh, people take it very seriously. And so sure. for me, it was pretty heady times trying to navigate through that Um the nice thing was that uh, that the, the all the work involved with football um, and then ultimately the games that that was the that was sort of a sanctuary, um, you know, where I could get away from from uh, the craziness. You know, if I could go in and just work at football, um, I knew how to do that part of it. Uh, the rest of it was uh, was pretty crazy to try to uh, try to figure out. Wow! So. Now here you are. You're uh, making your first start in an NFL game. Uh, that must be a tremendous experience. Uh, I know that you prepped, studied the you know playbook, you know, listened to the coaches. But, but I could only imagine the uh, the feel of being boots on ground on that turf. <laughs> you know, it was it was so crazy, man. My first start was uh, at mm. Buffalo. And um, that was when the Bills um, were, I think they had just been in their third uh, third straight Super Bowl just a few months before that. Um, and so I'm out on the field, I'm, out, I'm playing catch, warming up, you know, and uh, um, I see Bruce Smith come down the tunnel. And I'm like, I'm, st- I, I'm like, man, I don't belong here. I am not in the right place. I don't belong on the field with that man. Um, you know, I just watched him, you know, a few months before, uh, in the Super Bowl, and, and then Jim Kelly comes running down the tunnel. And, and, uh, uh, you know, Jim had been one of my heroes for a long time, and all of a sudden he comes running by, and he, but he was really good to me. Mark runs by, pats me on the butt, says, Hey, good luck, Rook. And, um, um, you know, and I honestly was like, Oh, thank you, Mr. Kelly. Yeah, like, like I just, you know, it's like, I, you know, like, can you come back so I can have, have an autograph? You know, but, um, and, uh, but the nice thing always was, you know, that, that, uh, once the game started, then it just became football. Uh, but you had to get to the game and the rest of it was, uh, was really pretty crazy. Wow. So after you after that initial game, um, did it kind of help you build a little bit more confidence going forward, knowing that you could hang with the big boys? You know, it, it uh, that was a that was a progression. Um, you know, the first game I did, I did actually we didn't win the game, but I actually had a pretty decent game. And, uh, and Bruce Smith actually put one of those hits on me that, well, first of all, it would be be illegal today. It probably would be a fine for sure. Um, you know, if he hit me that way today. Um, but, um, um, you know, I had a, you know, had a decent game, felt like I belonged through for some yards, through for some, through for some touchdowns and, and, uh, um, but it wasn't really probably until my second year 
you know, when you, you, you know, when you, you hear people talk all the time about, um, you know, things slowing down, right. Where all of a sudden, instead of being in, you know, fast motion, all of a sudden you, um, uh, have enough experience, enough confidence that, um, uh, you know, the game slows down a little bit and, uh, and you can, you feel like, uh, feel like you can, then you can, then you can really start playing. Um, but yeah, my second year, um, you know, we started, uh, uh, that was when things started to kind of come together. So going back to the first year, you think that the difference between playing college football and pro, was it the, the speed of the game, the complexity, what hit you the hardest there? Uh, you know, it was, um, it was the, the, the speed and the, and the precision required, right? So, um, and what that means is from a quarterback standpoint, you know, and, um, you know, in high school, um, you know, you had a pretty big margin for error, right? Um, you know, the guys weren't going to be covered that close. So, you know, you, you, if you were a little bit late with the ball or you weren't quite, you know, perfect with your accuracy, um, you know, you could get away with it. Well, in college, those windows get a little smaller, um, you know, so you don't have um, as much margin for error. Um, when you get to the pros, the margin for error is so tiny. Um, you know, you know, you got, you know, you know, down, down the field, you know, 25, 30 yards. Um, and if your timing isn't perfect and if your accuracy isn't, you know, nearly perfect, um, you know, it's either going to be incomplete or intercepted. Um, and you also, with the, the, the athletes that are coming after you on the pass rush side, uh, you know, you don't have that much time to figure it all out when you, you can't sit back there very often and just, you know, look at it, look at it, look at it, then throw it. You have to come back. All right, that ball's got to be out of my hands and it's got to go where it's supposed to go very, very quick, quickly and accurately. Um, so it just requires a, a, a different level of precision um, you know, when you get to the top level. All right. So let's talk a little bit about your ups and downs, winning and losing. Um, how does that affect you as an athlete where you're out there, you know, you're an elite athlete, um, and you go out there and have a shitty game. Mm -hmm. right? You throw, you know, two, three picks, get sacked, fumble the ball. You just have a game where you just need to, you know, put it behind you. Talk to me about how you did that. Yeah, you know, I mean, first of all, when you're when you're the quarterback, you know, you're kind of the the the, the face of the whole thing, and so um, you know, if if you know if it goes well, then you uh, then you pass it all along to uh, to the guys. If it doesn't go well, you you put it all on your shoulders. That's just kind of how the how the the way things work, um, and and that's just that's part of the job. If it's if you're you know doing it the right way. Um, but in terms of, uh, in terms of handling, um, you know, handling adversity, um, you know, it has to be something that you learn to embrace and, 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 you know, thrive in, um, because if you can't handle adversity and if you can't, um, build off of your setbacks, man, you're not going to last very long because, you know, for the very, you know, the, for, you know, pick a guy who it's gone really, really well for. There's nobody that's, that's played that position um, that hasn't had some, some pretty significant adversity at some point. 
Um, and if you don't learn to um, embrace that adversity, you're just not going to last very long. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that we talk about, um, you know, within our uh, within our company now, um, we talk about embracing adversity, and that doesn't mean we go try to create it. You know, nobody's out there trying to fuck up on purpose, but you know, we we actually whenever whenever we have something that does go sideways, um, you know, in our business, um, we know that we're going to come out the other side as a better company. Um, and so whenever something like that happens, you all know, talk to Josh, who's our CEO and they're like, okay, well that sucked. Uh, um, but man, we're going to be better for it tomorrow. Right. Or next week. Um, and, uh, but one of the other things though, that, that is, that is truly difficult that goes along with that, um, is handling success. Um, that can oftentimes be, um, even more difficult, uh, in terms of continued improvement, uh, than failure. Uh, when you fail, um, you know, it can be in some ways, it can be kind of cathartic. It can be, and it's also fairly easy to improve upon failure. He's like, okay, I screwed up. So that's obvious. So I can't do that again. Right. I've got to figure out how to not screw up again. Uh, but when you succeed, that's sometimes harder to build on and improve because you don't have that obvious, um, you know, bar where, well, okay, that was bad. So now I'm going to go do something different. So it's good. But what if I do something good and I still want to get better? Um, sometimes that can be a more difficult proposition. And it's something that we talk about with our company because our company has had a lot of success. Um, but the last thing that we want to do is sit still and get caught. And so we're uh, continuously talking about how we can build on success. Awesome. Yeah, that definitely, uh, those are elements that, anyone could take and really use in any facet of their life, you know, that mental toughness, which is great the way that you kind of put it out there. Now, talk to me a little bit about what happens to an athlete when, um, okay, he goes through that building time, you know, you've, you know, you have your building blocks, you're growing, and then all of a sudden they get an injury and that setback happens. Uh, it's, and they're trying to recover and get back in the game. And you got doctors telling them, yes. And then he wants to talk to me about that. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's part of the game. Um, you know, people get hurt, you know, it's a physical, it's a physical game. Um, I do, um, I do always correct people though, when they, um, when they, um, make the comparison of, of football to, to, like going to war, going to battle. Um, because while there are some similarities at the end of the day, we're playing a game and, you know, when you're going to come home, <laughs> you know, you're at the end of the game, you know, you may be banged up. You may, you know, you know, sprain an ankle or blow a knee or something, but nobody's dying playing football. So I always correct people when they say, you know, we're going to war. Well, no, you're not going to war. There's no bullets. Um, this is, this is still a, it's a very physical game, but it's still a game. Um, but you know, that adversity, you know, uh, for me, uh, you know, my, I, I really hadn't missed, I missed a couple of games, my rookie, uh, my rookie year. Um, but outside of that, I hadn't missed any games you know, in a long, long time. Um, and all of a sudden my, my ninth year, um, second game, my ninth year, um, you know, I get a, a, an injury, you know? 
get hit and I'm, uh, had a concussion. I was bleeding out internally. And, um, you know, I went back in the game. I didn't know I was bleeding out internally when I went back in the game, but went back in the game. And then after the game trainer grabs me and says, Hey, you need to come with me, bub. And, uh, like, ah, I'm just going to go in for prayer and then I'll, I'll come see you. He goes, no, you don't look very good. Why don't you come with me? Well, next thing you know, you know, that wake up in the, uh, in the hospital at mass general. And turns out I was bleeding out internally about a liter an hour and Oh, had to shit. stick a tube, had to stick a tube in my chest and recycle the blood and put it back into me. And I was in the hospital for six days with a tube in my chest. And, uh, then, uh, wasn't able to, uh, wasn't able to do anything for about six weeks. And, but after a couple months, you know, I got clearance to come back and play well in the interim, you know, my backup quarterback, this, uh, this kid, this Tom Brady kid out of, uh, <laughs> out of Michigan, um, had started to play fairly well and uh the and the team was 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 really playing well so i get back and after being the you know the the franchise quarterback and the figurehead of the organization for eight plus years um all of a sudden my job's not there waiting for me when i get back um and uh man that was a bitter pill to swallow it was like the first um, you know, it was the first time that, uh, that I was looking at it and I wasn't going to be the guy, you know? And so I had to go, you know, you know, take that backup role and help support, you know, help support somebody else. And, and, uh, now thankfully Tommy was a guy that I, you know, then and now just, you know, love and respect. And it's uh, made it easier to do that because it was him. Uh, but man, that was still a really, really hard thing to, uh, you know, to take a step back and, and, um, you know, learn how to, to support a team from that role rather than being the guy that was in the middle of it. Um, and, uh, you know, thankfully, you know, thankfully Tommy was nice enough to sprain his ankle in the AFC championship game and, uh, let me in there against the Steelers and we won that one. So at least I got to play for a little bit down the stretch, help get us to the Super Bowl, And then, uh, um, you know, then, uh, uh, the next year, I actually, I got to go to Buffalo, which was awesome. You know, people think that you're like, you, people think from the outside, when you go to Buffalo, you're being exiled, right? You know, it's like, oh my God, you got, right. you got exiled, you got exiled to Buffalo. But man, we loved playing there. It was like playing pro football in a college town for three years, man. I loved it. Really loved it in Buffalo. Uh, and then my last two years were down in, uh, in Dallas with the Cowboys. So I got to go play for the Cowboys, which, uh, you know, the only thing I can equate it to in sports would be pitching for the Yankees. Um, you know, when you're the quarterback for the Cowboys, people either love you or they hate you, but nobody's ambivalent <laughs> about, uh, about the <laughs> quarterback for the Cowboys. And, uh, so yeah, it was, I yeah. mean, it was a cool, it was a cool ride. Um, it had its adversities. Um, but even the tough times were really spectacularly cool because you're dealing with, um, you know, these adversities and these setbacks in front of millions of people. Um, and you know, you're going to either sink or swim, uh, based on, you know, your own, um, abilities, your own, um, strength, um, and your own, uh, mental strength, um, with a lot of people watching. I mean, it was a, it was a cool challenge. Um, and I really embraced it and, and loved every bit of it. You know, the, the, the incredible thing is, okay. So Tom Brady comes in. Uh, and you know you come out off an injury uh, down the road. You go to Buffalo, and you don't let none of that shit get you down. You become a Pro Bowler in Buffalo. Um, that's 
you know, that's some legit shit right there. Okay. You don't let it get you down. You continue forging ahead. You continue being the best version of yourself. You go out there, you put in the time, you put in the work. So that's something that's very admirable. All I can say is, you know, I admire your, your relentless passion for the sport when you played it. Um, and you were definitely a guy that uh, I watched play many, many times. All right. So talk to me here. So football finished for you. Um, and your next step in life, you decided to go down a road where it's a pretty cool road. Talk to me about your company now. Yeah. You know, it was, it was interesting for me because, you know, we, we, uh, one of the things that happened when I was playing, we started to, my wife and I started to get into wine. So we started to try and learn about wine around the world. Um, and, you know, collect some wines and, and uh, figure that out. And uh, it just became a really interesting thing to me. But the cool piece was that was my, you know, my little hometown, uh, Walla Walla, where I grew up, uh, had become one of the great wine grape growing regions of the world. And it was cool for me because I could prove it, right? Um, I'd have guys come over to the house. And every time they came over, I was like, yeah, just bring a bottle of red wine. And so they'd go grab something from Napa or something from Bordeaux. Or uh, sometimes guys would branch out and go to like Argentina or something. But it's primarily, you know, Napa and, and a little bit of French stuff. They'd come over to the house and we would do blind tastings at the house where we'd put all the wines in paper bags and we would taste through all the wines and uh, just simply try to figure out what we liked the best. Well, every time we did that, I would sneak something from my hometown into the lineup. And every time we did that, when we did the big unveil at the end where we take all the wines out of the bags, the Walla Walla wine would win, mm. um, you know, against like these expensive wines from California and France. Uh, my little hometown was making the wines that were that were winning these blind tastings. Um, and uh, so for me, it was sort of like that was when the, the, the light bulb went off. You're like, OK, well, maybe um you know this passion and hobby that we have um you know could become a, a real business um you know, i could go back home and start a company to make wine but not just make wine like really attempt to make wine that would stand up on a world stage um and um so you know uh, my last year in ball was 06 uh with the cowboys uh and in 2007 we launched doubleback uh, launched our first our first winery um, you know it was uh, and it's been you know I mean it's a startup business like literally from the dirt um, you know planted a vineyard back in 2007 um, my wife and the kids we all got our hands dirty and helped plant vines we were mostly in the way doing that but we at least got to say that we planted some vines <laughs> um, but uh, you know built built a company um both literally and figuratively from the ground up um and that required you know all the things that, uh, that, that anybody that's ever started something um you know understands you know there's adversity there's sleepless nights there's uh successes there's failures um there's uh you know unknowns that you you know i mean there's so many so many pieces of the wine business uh that i didn't even know i was supposed to know like, I didn't even know what I was supposed to learn, let alone how to learn it. Um, and so it's been an ongoing education. Um, thankfully, I've been able to, you know, we talked a little little while ago about, about uh, you know, being able to carry over 
some of the values um, and skills that allowed me to be a successful quarterback uh, into the world of business. And there are so many commonalities. Uh, at the very, very top of that list is having the, the great team, having the right team around you. Um, and for me, man, that was paramount. You know, I didn't, you know, like I said earlier, I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, I, I knew that I was passionate for wine. I knew that we had, um, you know, a profile that we wanted to find. I knew we had some good land. But outside of that, man, I relied so heavily on the team I was able to put together, um, you know, to go execute on the vision that we had. And uh, that was never more true than, you know, than this this last year, you know, uh, living through what we all lived through in 2020. You know, I tell people, you know, you don't really know what kind of football team you have until you face adversity, until you're behind in the fourth quarter, until you've lost a couple of games in a row. That's when you find out what kind of team you have. Uh, and that was certainly the case this last year with, uh, with our team at the business. Um, found out um, what kind of character we had on our team uh, because in 2020, man, they just rocked it. Showed up, no complaints. Had to change the way we did everything like everybody else did. And our team just showed up, went to work, and we had a, uh, our best year ever in 2020. Um, because the team just performed at such a high level when they were facing adversity. So you took a lot of the principles that you learned as an elite athlete and you incorporated them into your culture, into your business. Let's talk a little bit about that because I think that's a key point that uh, we need to, to make here. The reality is that there's so many principles that, you can use and transfer over to business. Um, and there's a lot of people out there in this world that don't quite get that. They don't understand that, you know, just because you um, have certain principles, you know, on one end of the spectrum, doesn't mean they stay there. You can carry them over to something, to another facet in your life. So let's talk about how you brought these principles over into your business. And then I want to talk about your family life and how you have impl implemented them in your family yeah you know it, it's uh um one of the one of the most important pieces um you know that that and um you know in comparing and, and um carrying over from football into business is that um being really great at one thing uh, at one component of it doesn't get it done. Um, so as a quarterback, I, you know, I, mean, I could, I could throw the ball well, um, you know, but if all I could do was throw, uh, and that was the only thing I was good at, I had no chance of being successful. And there are guys all over the place that can throw the ball, but that is about, I don't know, 10% of playing quarterback, being able to throw the ball well. Uh, then it's about, um, you know, attention to detail. It's about leadership. It's about anticipation. Uh, it's about uh, handling your emotions. It's about, uh, uh, you know, precision in everything that you do. Um, you know, all of the, all of those things that, that, uh, that are, you know, more important than your ability to chuck the football. Well, in business, in our business, um, you know, we've been able to make some great wine and, you know, the critics have been kind to us and so on. And, 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 and the stuff that's in the bottle is really good, but that's only one component of it. 
um, you know, I mean, in our business, it's, uh, it's every last piece of it has to be executed with precision, um, you know, from how we farm uh, to, um, you know, how we treat our people. Um, you know, we've got our own farming company um, and we're, we try to be sustainable with our people, just like we're sustainable with the environment. So our farming company, um, you know, our, our, our team, there are 12 of them. Um, they're paid better than anybody else in the, uh, in the region. Uh, they have health benefits, retirement benefits, and we keep them on year round. So a lot of farming, um, you know, a lot of ag, uh, oh, you know, great. the farming, the, the farming crews are, um, are only, you know, they they keep them seasonally and then they send them and, uh, let them go and then, and then hire them back the next season. Well, we keep them busy all year round. We found a way to keep found ways to put them to work year round. Um, so we try to be sustainable with how we treat our people as well as how we treat the environment. Um, you know, we're, um, you know, we, we are very, very conscientious about how we interact with our customers. Um, our team tries to make everybody that they interact with feel like they're part of our family, um, and, you know, build that emotional connection. Um, we're very conscientious about our branding. We think a lot about how we put together our different brands and what the story is. And, and does that, does that make sense? We're, you know, so anyway, the, the, you know, my, so my point being, um, you know, being good at one piece of your organization, um, doesn't cut it, particularly when you're talking about the most competitive industry in the world. Uh, by product skew, uh, wine's the most competitive in the world. There are 50,000 unique bottles of wine made worldwide every year, and you have to try to stand out in that crowd. So it's a uh, it's it's a really cool endeavor, and, and we actually have a lot of athletes on our on our uh, on our team, uh, which is not part of our interview process, but it ends up being culturally something that that, that works really well for us because you know we're we're all competitive people, we're all driven to try to be as great as we can, and and uh, you know that requires across the board that people understand that the team is bigger than the self. Um, that, you know, only doing your job is not going to cut it. You have to, uh, you have to strive for perfection and go the extra mile. And, and because of that, man, our team is just kicking ass. So it's been, uh, it's been really cool to see the culture continue to, uh, develop and, and evolve with our team. Amazing. Great stuff right there. So talk to me about your family, your principles have you, that you used in, in your business and in, um, and the NFL and football and, have you been able to implement some of that into the growth of your family? Well, you know, I, mean, I think I, I was talking about family. I had to start with my folks first, you know, they, mm -hmm. they, uh, um, you know, like I say, I grew up there, both school teachers, um, had a, you know, wonderful, loving family, you know, growing up, um, and, you know, mom and dad are, mom and dad are still around and still, still, um, um, you know, we get to see a bunch of them. They get to see the grandkids a bunch, which is great. Um, so I had a great example growing up of what that was supposed to look like, uh, with our family, we've got four kids, uh, oldest is 23. Um, and, um, you know, watching them grow up and, and, uh, you know, uh, helping, uh, helping to, to kind of, you know, give them guidance as they're coming through, um, you know, is the, the, the biggest and most important job I could, I could ever do. And, and, uh, um, you know, it, it never goes totally smoothly, but, uh, but overall it's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. 
Uh, and now we're in that, that transition phase where we're actually now you start to have, you know, adult relationships with the, with your kids. But, you know, I mean, if I had to, if I had to just say a couple of things that I learned uh, from my folks and then, and then tried to, to, um, um, implement with, uh, with, with our, our family is that, you know, number one, you know, they've got to know that every message is coming from a place of love, right? So you, you're never telling them something, um, because, you know, trying to be mean dad or whatever it's, it's always, whether they like to hear it or not, uh, whatever the message is, it all comes from a place of love. And so they once they understand that, then you have a chance to communicate with them. And then the other part is, you know, and I know this is not always possible for, for everybody, but, um, you know, I don't believe in the concept of quality time. I believe in just time. You just have to be there. Uh, you got to show up and um, as much as you possibly can. And they have to know that in some cases um, you make sacrifices to show up. Um, you know, I mean, let's be honest. I don't think very many parents have ever uh, really enjoyed um, the uh, Christmas production at school. <laughs> you know, those, those, those are not, those are not fun things to go to. Um, but you know, you got to show up, you know, and they got to know that you're there, you know, and then, uh, um, you know, watching, uh, watching first grade soccer. Yeah. It's not a great sporting event, <laughs> but you gotta, um, you know, so you just, you know, you, you gotta be present. Uh, and if you're present and they know that, that everything you say to them comes from a, uh, um, you know, comes from a, a, a place of love, um, then you have a chance to go ahead and communicate your values and your morals to your kids. Um, you know, if, you, if, they, uh, if they don't know that um, those two things and they feel like you're not actually going to be present, uh, then it's a lot harder to communicate those things. Awesome. Good stuff there. So I'm going to leave you off with this. I would love for you to give some advice to our younger generation, um, or even people that are struggling to, you know, to meet adversity and uh, that have may or maybe trying to get into uh, to become an elite athlete, or someone that's trying to build a business, give me something that they can take and use right here and right now. Well, um, you know, a couple things come immediately to mind. Um, the first one is um, go ahead and dream the big dream, right? Good. I mean, you know, for, for me, you know, being a kid from a skinny kid from Walla Walla, Washington, um, you know, the NFL was not a realistic thing, right? That was just, you know, especially if you, I, I'm telling you, if you saw me in eighth or ninth grade, you're like, oh yeah, no, dude, no work hard in school, kid, because uh, the NFL is not for you. But no, go ahead and dream the big dream. Um, and if you dream the big dream and you miss, well, you're still, you know, if you aim for this and you miss and you hit here, well, you're still quite a ways up there, right? Um, you know, if you, if you aim for, you know, something down here and you hit it, you're still down here, right? So go ahead and, go ahead and dream the big dream. And then, um, then you've got to put that dream into action. You've got to develop a plan for how you're going to get there. And it's not tomorrow. It's today. What am I going to do right now that's going to put me moving toward 
um, that dream that's out there. You know, if you, um, you know, if you, you know, building something or want to work towards something that's, that's really big. If you think about the magnitude of where you're trying to get, it can be overwhelming. But if you break that down to, okay, today I'm going to do this. Uh, right now I'm going to do this piece of it. And then you just do that over and over and over again. Um, you know, eventually you can build toward that, uh, but you can't put it off. It takes action and it takes action right now. Um, and if you're, you know, you're struggling, you're dealing with adversity, which I know a lot of people are uh, out there um, in, you know, normal life. And then with what's been thrust upon us this last year, um, the best way that I've found to get through that is to take action um, and to take action immediately. Find something that you can do right now that advances you toward where you want to end up. Um, you know, and if, um, you know, if you find yourself in a place where, uh, where there's nothing you can do, well, then you have to truly reach out and be willing to be strong enough to accept help um, and seek out, um, you know, people that can help you. Because asking for help when you're in a bad situation is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. Um, and, um, you know, we see that with you know, the examples of the opposite of that, you know, that, that end tragically because people get into a spot where they don't think there's a way out and, you know, end up harming themselves or, um, you know, deep into drugs or whatever. Um, if you find yourself in a place like that, um, you know, you owe it to the people that love you to reach out and ask for help so that, uh, so that you can get back on your feet and get going. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, Drew, uh, it's been an unbelievable conversation here with you. We would absolutely love to have you back soon. Uh, there's so much knowledge and so much wisdom that um, we can take from from speaking with you. And and I just want to say, man, I'm honored to have you on. And uh, really, uh, one of the most important things that I took from this conversation is, you know, your mindset is very, very spot on. Uh, you're a humble dude. Uh, you, you know, you're constantly learning. And uh, the fact is that, you know, you made it through the big leagues, you went out there, you completed, but you're still living um, a life that we call, you know, the way we say it here is, you know, you're living a life that embodies the warrior spirit. All right. Uh, you're living a life that, you know, you're constantly developing your business, you're growing, you're out there, you're hunting, you still have that drive, which is um, so important for, you know, men in our society to, to really focus on. And again, thank you for being on. Oh man, my pleasure, man. My pleasure. Great conversation. And thanks for doing what you're doing, man. This is a, uh, it's a, it's a really cool thing that you're putting out to the world and, and, uh, um, you know, helping, uh, helping a lot of people. So very cool. Ben, it was my privilege to be a part of it. Thank you, Drew. I appreciate it.